And I'm Chris, and our introductions suck. There's yeah. no doubt. No, listen, listen, I'm no lizard guy. <laughs> Dude, what dimension are you from? Uh, it will happen, I'm sure. You think so? Yeah, because people are dumb. Um. <laughs> and why is it always Russian guys that go, smish this yeah. like button? Smish. I'm like, what do you smish. mean <laughs> smash? It's a mouse button. Yeah. I can willingly admit that I got violently too high for my first time. <laughs> Hey, 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 what's up, everybody? Whiskey, Beer, and Conspiracy Podcast. We are live right now. We're live on Rockfin. We're live on Twitch. We're live on all kinds of places right now. we got a very special guest for you guys tonight. But before we introduce him, before we get cracking, and we're going to get right into it because I know he's got a lot of information to go over. This is Big Country. And on the either end of the mic. It's me, boy. And Chris. That's right. Uh, guys, what do you say? <laughs> He's making fun of me. Guy had started a game. Uh, that that countdown timer is a long time. I was occupying my attention. Oh my god! Candy Crush over here. Oh not it's god. not Candy Crush. <laughs> oh my god! Anyways, <laughs> fighting the new world order. Um, uh, you know, before we get started, I want to say a big shout out to a homie of mine. Uh, I talked to him about him about him before on the show uh buddy roman he's in the hospital right now oh, no. uh yeah i went to visit him on um saturday night uh his, his crohn's is real bad uh right now and the doctors i just talked to him a little bit ago they were talking about um wanting to remove his entire large intestine Damn. and um his appendix apparently his appendix has gotten bigger since they were there and i'm like well it wasn't that big one before you got there so <laughs> You know my view on doctors, but um, so feel better, Roman. Um, yeah, saying some prayers for you, man. We got you in our thoughts. So hopefully everything turns out. And by God, stop eating gluten. Shit, Jesus <laughs> Christ, it's poison. Um, all right. Anyways, um, tonight, guys, for all the truth hooligans out there that are watching live and gonna listen to this on the main show when we release it on Friday. <laughs> Uh, we got Corey Hughes joining us tonight. We've had him on the show before in the past. For some reason, that episode, his mic was all blown out. And that was like, boy, like two, a year ago? Yeah, over a year. Yeah. yeah, over a year ago. And <clears throat> we had you on the show the first time, Corey. You were talking about Kennedy, the Kennedy assassination, who was involved, how you got into this research, how much information you had. So I was like, let's get it back on. Let's get a, a good quality recording on everything and yeah. go through it again. So, man, Corey, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. Absolutely. Um, so so real quick, before we start getting into everything, and um, I know you have uh, some, some screen share topics for us, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of your background for anybody that might have missed the first one um, and, and, and tell us what you're going to get into tonight. Sure. Uh, so my background, um, I was a cop for about eight and a half years. I was also a crime scene investigator. Um, I've got a stack of degrees, all in law enforcement subjects. And uh, when I got out of law enforcement, I went into the cannabis industry, uh, believe it or not. Yeah. And uh, from there, I became a freelance writer, got into really doing serious research. And then I kind of just transitioned into the Kennedy assassination uh, about July of 2018, I'd already spent about three years on the Holocaust and uh, the Holocaust and Kennedy are the same story. So when you really come to understand like the history of the 
23, um, you know, you'll find that like history is this huge tapestry, right? Mm -hmm. Individual events are just threads in this tapestry and they all connect and they're all interconnected. So uh, after spending a couple of years on the Holocaust and World War II, uh, it, it flowed naturally into Kennedy. And uh, yeah, I just, I wanted to know who the shooter on the knoll was. That was it. That was the only reason I started my Kennedy research in the first place. And oh my God, was that such an, uh, a naive approach. Um, the story of Kennedy and the Kennedy assassination is, uh, it's by far the most important historical event in American history. Some right. could argue world history. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so uh, when you come to understand the Kennedy assassination, everything going on in the world today makes perfect sense. Mm. So it's all connected. Oh boy. Without a doubt. And I'm really excited to get into this. Um, real quick from Legit Bat over there, uh, dropping a comment. Corey's in the house. I know you've, uh, you've had some contact with them. Great people. Yeah, they're my boys. That's right. Buymeacoffee.com. JFK slash book. Slash JFK oh, book. Thank you. Yeah, it's my book is coming out soon. Um, yeah, about, yeah. I think I'm 11 chapters done. Um, I, I, I'm going to have to cut myself off at some point because I just keep writing. It just doesn't stop. <laughs> right. So I hear you. I hear you. I have. Um, uh, what I anticipated to be two chapters um, explaining the nuts and bolts of the assassination that day turned into four chapters. Um, <laughs> and then I realized that I left some stuff out. So I have to go back and add another chapter just to complete that sequence of events. Right. Um, and then I have a, I have a couple um, background chapters like on autobiographical auto stuff, you know, people's mm -hmm. backgrounds. And yeah. then that's it. I'm done. Um, so I was shooting for March, probably going to be more like May. Okay. But uh, it is going to be, uh, you know, the definitive book on uh, – well, not, how do I say this? Is, uh, you can't write the definitive book on Kennedy. It's not possible. You need an encyclopedia. It's just too broad. There's 5 right. million pages of documents, and you could literally write 100,000 pages, you know, um, to cover the whole story. Okay. But I tried to fill in all the gaps, uh, identify all the shooters, you know, who the handlers were, how the money flowed, um, right. all that stuff, you know, the ultimate causality. Um, but I'm finding myself, I'm going to have to skip over a lot of like the big picture stuff, um, mm. for another book because it's just too broad. And my, my scope on this one really was to cover the shooters and then to explain, you know, their involvement overall, the relationships involved. And, uh, I'm trying to only keep it to like what information is necessary to show who the shooters were and the relationship to the, the bigger picture. But uh, it's going right. to require a, a second and third book, uh, of course, to cover like, uh, the really big picture stuff. Right. That's a lot of work, man. We can't wait to get into it. Yeah, absolutely. And and not to get too far into that topic as far as the Holocaust is concerned, but Corey, let me ask you, have you watched Europa? Yeah, I've seen all that stuff. Um, some of the information there is good. Some of it is bad. Some of it is overt propaganda. I mean, even when things are correct, they can be propaganda. You know what I mean? Sure. So, um, but uh, yes, uh, the... Um, when it comes to the Holocaust, the most important stuff really is studying the early Zionist texts, uh, studying Theodor Herzl and Chaim Wiseman and uh, Mordecai Ephraim Pries and all these old school Zionists, um, because most people talk about World War II and they talk about Hitler and the Holocaust and they start their story at Hitler wanted to kill all the Jews. That's like the beginning right. of the story for everybody. Okay, <laughs> yeah. that's like that's like, that's halfway through the story. That's that's the middle of the book. Okay, that's yeah. not the beginning. And so, the, really, if you want to understand the Holocaust, you have to understand the mindset of these early Zionists. You know, starting in like 1895 with Herzl and moving forward. Uh, because I can tell you with certainty, by 1933, by the time Adolf Hitler came to power, America had been conquered. America was compromised by the Zionists by 33. Um, so, you know, uh, 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 the destruction of America has been this. Uh, you know. 150, 200 year process that's been going on, really, some people could argue since Lincoln. 
Right. Uh, but uh, and as far as the assassination goes, like my study begins in 1897 with the birth of political Zionism mm. uh, and the World Zionist Congress and all that stuff. And when you start to study those guys and you see what their activities were going back to the turn of the century, um, yeah, the, the whole rise of Hitler and the Holocaust and everything that's happened since makes sense as a reaction to the rise of Zionism. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, well said. The Schweiner Juden. Yeah, so, Corey, getting into the Kennedy assassination, I, I, I just recently actually uh, um, acquired the uh, entire season of that show, um, Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura. <laughs> and um, it, it's good. It's, it's Hollywood-esque, right? There's some, you know, there's some creative... Uh, Liberties. Um, <laughs> liberties that were taken with that, you know. Um, but what's interesting is, like, watching that show now, a lot of the topics, because each, each episode is a different topic, it's like, man, either that's happened or is happening right now. Um, and he just recently, like, the one I just watched was, was the Kennedy assassination. And I know that uh, Jesse Ventura, maybe he's a shill, maybe he's controlled up. I don't know. I do know that he was a Navy SEAL, and I do know that maybe he did fake, try... Dude. Maybe he doesn't even exist. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> I don't even know. Um, I knew that he did try to recreate the, the shot from the book depository, and he couldn't do it. Uh, it's, and he's not the only one. There's been expert marksmen that have tried it. Um, but, um, you know, what was your uh, initial... Uh, I want to look into the Kennedy assassination, other than all of it doesn't fucking make any sense. <laughs> well, um... When you look at things like the Jesse Ventura show and you look at like, uh, you know, everything that's ever been published about Kennedy, whether it's on the History Channel or whatever, the, you know, like these people are just they just ask the wrong questions. They don't know what fucking questions to write I mean, to ask. I mean, the, the reality is like all that talk about, uh, you know, could you fire the shots out the window become completely irrelevant when you come to realize that Lee Harvey Oswald was not present at the book depository at all that day. Right. Um, so uh, it, it's, it's, you know, they get you looking to the right while the truth is to the left. Right. Um, so, uh, of all the researchers out there, I'm the only one that's come to the conclusion that Oswald was not at the book depository. He didn't work at the book depository. It was a CIA front, uh, just like all of his other jobs. Mm -hmm. You can trace every single job the guy ever had. And every single one of them was a CIA front. Uh, the odds that he ever actually showed up at that job to work there ever, uh, is, uh, probably slim to none. You know, if yeah. anything, um, he had a contact in there that he would go and check in with, but I can tell you with damn near certainty uh, oswald was not there on november 22nd and i can tell you with absolute certainty there's no proof to indicate that he was there when you go over all the statements of everybody in the building half the people who worked in that building had never seen oswald until he showed up on television wow, wow. um <laughs> yes so in the in the months actually in the years leading up to the assassination going back to january of 1960 a time when oswald is over in the soviet union you have people impersonating Oswald all over America, all over New Orleans, Miami, Dallas, Austin. Like, <laughs> there was a major campaign to start establishing this communist persona. Um, the problem was that he was still in the Soviet Union when these idiots <laughs> started to set him up. Um, I've got a dozen incidents, at least, uh, between 1960 and the summer of 62, when Oswald gets back from the Soviet Union, that Oswald was allegedly doing things in America. So uh, when you go through all of these, uh, and this is like where I put a lot of my focus on, because uh, Oswald is mostly irrelevant in the assassination. Oswald is like a completely and totally parallel story, but separate, like okay. nothing to do with the assassination, but completely parallel. So was so, was was Ald was Oswald picked by the CIA, or was it just kind of convenient that this American was in the Soviet Union, 
and we're going to tag him, make him the patsy for all this. Um, there's, a, there's some interesting speculation on why he was chosen, but he was most certainly part of a program uh, to get a spy into the Soviet Union. Uh, okay. When you go back and you look at the work of John Armstrong, John Armstrong, most people kind of write him off as somewhat of a kook in the Kennedy world, but um, the reality is uh, his research uncovered the fact that between 1947 and uh, the time that Oswald left for the Soviet Union in 59, that there were um, two different children living in two different families, both mm -hmm. named Lee Harvey Oswald, who right. were uh, obviously a part of some CIA plot. Um, most people try to say, like, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, they're not going to have, like, body doubles and stuff of a 12-year-old. Well, yes, you would. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely, if you're raising a child for the specific purpose of exfiltrating them to the Soviet Union as a spy. Right. Now, um, this, you know, this is all speculation at this point. We have very little confirmation on any of this stuff, but there was a program running by the CIA called AE Balcony, ran from 59 to 62, and the entire point of the program was to uh, take a naturalized American citizen, meaning a person who was not, a nat not born in America, but mm -hmm. who became a citizen later, um, who spoke fluent Russian in order to you know, in, uh, get them into Latvia, Soviet Union, uh, a couple other countries like on the, uh, in Eastern Europe, right? So mm -hmm. they had a program running at the exact same time that Lee Harvey Oswald was in the country of the program that they were running, <laughs> right? So uh, it's called A.E. Balcony. Odds are Oswald was part of A.E. Balcony. When you read through the A.E. Balcony files, they'll even say in there, um, they were only able to successfully retrieve one subject who they sent over mm -hmm. there. So they sent oh. a couple people over there under that program, and obviously the Russians got onto them and they disappeared, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. Oswald is probably the one person they're referring to as uh, okay. part of that program who came back. But uh, there's no way to confirm any of this. Right, All you right. can do is look at dates and times. And being an ex-cop, I can tell you this is legit evidence um, yeah. of a program of the program that he was in. So, but getting back to like the body double stuff, like I believe that it's not crazy. It was just some sort of plot to get a spy into the Soviet Union, right? And uh, it obviously worked for a time. Uh, now, ultimately, if you have a du body double that you're raising as a, you know, who's a, who's a fluent Russian speaker, obviously plucked from some Eastern Bloc country post-World War II, right? Mm -hmm. um, then uh, this would make it very easy for that person to disappear into the Soviet Union, right? So like, because Lee Harvey Oswald allegedly spoke fluent Russian, yeah. right? But there's no evidence anywhere of him ever having studied Russian, taken Russian, anything. It's just all of a sudden, boom, he just spoke fluent Russian, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but then you have members of Oswald's uh, Marine Patrol, right? The, the, his squadron, who said, like, that guy didn't speak Russian. He never studied Russian. He just wanted to drink beer and pick up girls, right? And so when you go <laughs> over Oswald's Same. history, when you go over Oswald's history, it's, it's clear that there were two people who were living under the name Lee Harvey Oswald. And then by the time he goes off to the Soviet Union, that program must have come to an end because after 59, moving into early 1960, um, I studied every single incident of an interaction with Lee Harvey Oswald, and I was able to completely decipher every single incident and was able to determine that there were two men in particular specifically impersonating Oswald starting uh, in late 59, early 60. Actually, possibly once or twice, uh, Carrie Thornley, this guy named Carrie Thornley we'll talk about, uh, was uh, impersonating Oswald in Atsugi, Japan while uh, Oswald was still in the Marines, right? So there's all kinds of shenanigans going on with Oswald's identity in the first place. Right. But um, once he gets back to the... Um, to the United States from the Soviet Union, like it's a full-on press of impersonating Oswald uh, leading up to the assassination. Um, but yeah, of a hundred plus incidents involving Lee Harvey Oswald, I was able to determine that all of them could be attributed to two men, uh, Kerry Thornley and another man named William Seymour. And William Seymour, I am 100% convinced, uh, was working in the book depository under the name Lee Harvey Oswald. 
I've mm-hmm. been able to trace all of his movements uh, leading up to the assassination. Um, the incidents at the gun range where Lee Harvey Oswald went and shot rifles at other people's targets. Um, you know, the incidents at Bolton Ford. There's, there's so many incidents involving William Seymour. And the reason that you know it's William Seymour is because William Seymour was a mercenary. Um, he got out of the Marines in 58, 59, and he was kind of uh, best friends with a guy named Lawrence Howard, who was a big husky Latino with a pockmarked face, or he had moles all over his face. Very distinct looking guy. And in a chunk of these Oswald sightings, Oswald was always seen with a husky Latino with a, always had a pockmarked face or had some Mm -hmm. sort of scars on his face. So it became real obvious really quickly that the vast majority of incidents that we attribute to Lee Harvey Oswald, especially in Dallas, that were used to set him up like at the gun range, those were William Seymour. Uh, mm-hmm. We know this because he was accompanied by this large husky Latino who had a marks on his face or pockmark face, right. definitely Lawrence Howard. And they had another guy named Lauren Hall, who uh, was like, uh, it was like a trio for at least uh, all of 63. Those guys traveled the country together, bouncing back and forth between Miami and Los Angeles, doing mercenary stuff, right? So these mm-hmm. guys get out of, the, out of uh, the Marines in 59. They all get scooped up by the CIA. Um, you know, so many of these guys were just this is a military mindset that i'll never understand that um these guys get out of the military and they just want to continue to live that life you know and yeah so the only place to do that is via the cia and then they got a million places they can send you to go kill people so um and in in 59 like it was it was prime recruiting for the central intelligence agency especially in regards to cuba even though most of this Cuba stuff, like the, they talk about the anti-Castro Cubans and how, you know, we tried to kill Ca- uh, Castro like a hundred times. Like that's all nonsense. That's like a whole, it's total fiction. Yeah. Um, Exploding uh, cigars and all that shit. Right. That's all bullshit. <laughs> like he was a smuggling partner for the CIA for years yeah. after the Bay of Pigs. I mean, there's no fucking way they were trying to take that guy out. They needed yeah. him. They depended on him. And you tell me they couldn't knock off this little fucking yeah. dictator on a dinky island 90 miles off the coast. Give me yeah. a break. It's, it's the whole Biden <laughs> or uh, Biden. It's the whole Bin Laden idea, right? Oh yeah, make you think he's the he's the bad guy, but we built that guy and we yeah, paid Tim him Osmond. a lot of fucking money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, imagine going from Tim Osman to Osama <laughs> bin Laden. Like it's close, Tim Osman, <laughs> bin Laden, yeah, bin Laden, Osman. Okay, I get right. It, I get so it. yeah, that's the one. That's one of our patterns. Like all the people we demonize are actually like pretty good people. Like you know, right? Everyone from from history and fucking you know like Putin and stuff. Like we just yeah. turn them. You know, we turn these people turn into monsters. Right when like if you actually study them, you realize they're fucking way better than anybody we ever had. Yeah, <laughs> like look they at ha- look at. Yeah. They Quakers, have to have Quakers. the boogeyman. They have yeah. to have the guy that they can prop up so that everybody, all the, the rest of the sheep can look and be like, oh, that's the guy that we need to go after. Yeah. We need to take that guy Gotta down. Point their torches it's, at. It's, it's the misdirection that you talked about earlier. You know, the somewhere the truth's on the left and they're making everybody look right, you know, so that they can just draw their attention and do whatever they want to do in the back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scooby <laughs> fucking do. Coy, real quick for some background. I know Chris wasn't on that last episode a year and some change ago that we did with you, but Chris is a law enforcement officer now. So, and oh, really? He's yeah. a Tim Cast body double. <laughs> dude it's cold at my house man i was freezing before i came over here i'm still yeah. trying to thaw yep. out i was a cop in florida for about uh eight and a half years and i nice. did like three or four years of school before i even applied uh nice. so um yeah like fuck that job um like fuck <laughs> cops like i'll uh, like i understand that job better than anybody like anybody yeah. who decides to do that job is taking their life and throwing it in the garbage so Damn, well, thanks for making me feel better about myself <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> no hey hey but you're gonna get a pension and like everyone else is gonna be fucked so that's yeah, a good thing that's true i might be all right if i make it to retirement 
you know. You're, I'm never retiring, dude. I'm gonna work. Yeah, until well, the world will end before then. So <laughs> yeah, I fucked uh, myself because I switched agencies at like five years, and so I just took my pension and threw it out the window. Yeah, uh, I'm 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 halfway there, so I I can't. Half, dude, you say halfway like every ten years. <laughs> I, I've got ten years on, and ten years makes me fully invested. So I'll have lifetime medical. So I'll be taken care of when like I'm old and feeble. Years, so you're gonna and die broken. then in the hospital. Is what they do. No, I'll probably I'll probably die probably right after I retire, like a year or so. Most of us <laughs> gets cancer and the stress of our job wears us out so much we don't get any time to enjoy it. But well, that's fucking yeah. The average lifespan of a cop after retirement is like five years. That's a fact. My father-in-law has been going pretty strong. Yeah. Well, he <laughs> that's because he smokes smokes cigars and drinks whiskey every day. It's true. It's usually mm-hmm. wine. It's not very. Mm-hmm. It's not usually whiskey, but. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I plan on making it a few years. I've I work hard to well, I'd hope so to keep myself alive. Keep my fingers crossed for you. Well, it was funny because like I switched agencies at, at like um, how long was that? I was actually I was at like seven and I was like seven years in when I switched agencies, mm-hmm. and um, I, I thought that my problems would be solved by switching agencies. But then I realized by going over there, it's the same bullshit. It's the same drama. It's this. It's it was uh, the, the same everything shit, on like a, on like a ten times bigger scale. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. it was just it was like everything that I. You know, it was everything I didn't want it to be, and I was like, yeah. I can't believe I fucking did this. You know, right? No, I, my I have a identical twin, and he's also in law enforcement, and he keeps trying to get me to come over to his agency, and I'm like, nope. I, mean, I, I know what I got. The same exact shit. Well, it is. It, it's 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 it, it is the, just like closer to the just market. like Corey said. No matter where you go, it's going to be the same issues, the same problems. It's going to be poor poor leadership and management positions that are looking and worried about things that are not important for what we have to do on a day-to-day basis and end up making our job a lot harder mm-hmm. um, not being able to do the things that we do need to be doing and you know in his is a small agency and mine's a large agency so why am i going to go leave a, a crowd of 100 people where the microscope's not always going to be on me i'm allowed to go out there and work and actually do the things that i need to do or want to do to help people uh then go to a small agency where there's 30 officers and then everybody's looking at every little thing that you're doing, you know, and got a bunch I, of bird dogs out there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not about that. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm plugging, chugging along. I like what I do. I really do. It's, it's hard and stressful, but you know, at the end of the day, I come home and I'm satisfied providing for my family, give my wife the opportunity to, to not, to not work and stay home with my 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 sons and and my daughter and you know <laughs> my, I almost said my CUNTs yeah <laughs> not, what I should have done really is I should have stayed with the crime scene side I mean I got my degree in crime scene technology before I even applied for a cop position yeah because um, I thought that'd be more exciting but fuck and in hindsight like doing crime scene work would have been much more satisfying long term yeah i think that that would be way more satisfying as far as than actually doing the We'd probably get less people trying to spit on you so that, that's <laughs> I have, hey, or pissing no. your fucking hand i've had <laughs> piss in my fucking hand literally yeah. oh, we don't cool. do, we don't have to do p-tests for anything in my in my agency we don't do for that any kind of chemical so I'm I'm not going to be holding a cup for anybody. I won't yeah. hold a cup for anybody. I have been spit on. I have been punched. I have been bit. I've been you know you name it. We've yeah, done it. But... Sometimes people got to pay good money for that stuff though. Yeah, that's true too. I'm <laughs> not in valid that point. Stuff, that's a valid None of that point. stuff I'm in. Not so into. I mean, just to clarify my comment earlier, like here's one thing I learned, uh, and I learned a lot of this in retrospect after leaving. But like. Um, for the most part, the vast majority of cops' time is just wasted on bullshit and traffic stops. And so you end up victimizing people who don't need to be victimized just so you can 
fucking feel good about your job or get a stat or whatever the fuck. And I was a master of it, man. I used to fuck people up and I used to take a lot of people to fucking jail. And in hindsight, I was a goddamn monster and I fucking shouldn't have done any of it. And there was really no point in any of it. So right. it was mm. just um, a bunch of negative karma for no reason that I'll probably have to live with forever. So gotcha. Well, yeah. well, I mean, we forgive you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not mad you. at you. We, of we course you're not. Um, there's a book called um, Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it's the, by Kevin Gilmartin. It's, a, it's the book of law enforcement. Everybody in the world should fucking read it, and uh, it'll change the way you think of everything. It's really an mm -hmm. uh, incredible uh, book. It teaches you how to, like, it teaches you all of the pitfalls, you, emotional pitfalls you fall into, and I fall into every one over the course of my career, so. Yeah. But yeah, I learned how to be an investigator, and that's, like, the most important thing, so. Yeah. Well, I guess sure. you could look at it from that perspective, too, Corey, that that time necessarily wasn't wasted because it's led you down this path, True. which is, realistically, uh, I think one of the most important things, like, I think there's, like, multiple big events that change the course of history, and Kennedy's assassination is one of them, right? You have, you have the Holocaust, you have Kennedy's assassination, of course, the World Wars you could talk about, but 9-11 was, like, the world was different before 9-11. It wasn't, uh, I don't want to say it was less shitty. It wasn't necessarily better. It was It was less shitty for sure. It was, well, okay, it was less <laughs> shitty. But it was, um, we, like, all of us here remember a time before 9-11, right? Yeah. And the time after 9-11, it just got progressively worse, like, every two years. And now it's like every fucking year is worse mm -hmm. now. Well, now um, it's like every every other day. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's an explosion. Especially if you live in Ohio. Or, God damn, right? Um, but anyways, Corey, so so I know the first time you were on, you were making this, this um, how do I say Jewish connection without saying Jewish connection? Um, Zionist connection. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for, Zionist connection. Um, and and I'm curious to, to how that looks on the grand scale of things because there's all these different theories with Kennedy. Like, mm -hmm. okay, you know, for, of course, the official story is Oswald, but then there was shooters on the grassy knoll, but then it was the mafia, and then it was well, part of the CIA. The, hobo, the, the hobos. The hobos. The, the, hobos. the um, And then you have the driver shooting Kennedy with, like, a, a, a pneumatic <laughs> yeah, type driver. pistol. Uh, there's even there's even the uh, uh, that Jackie shot him, right? Right. I've, I've heard that one, too. Well, that's because right. she found out about Maryland, but anyway, no. <laughs> um, you know, so there's all these different theories, right, uh, surrounding Kennedy. Do you have, um, in, in your research, have you have you narrowed it down? Do you think you know who who it was or whom it was? Or oh, I know exactly it... who I know exactly who it was. I know exactly oh who the shooters God. on the mill were. I know exactly who the shooters in the book depository behind the pergola and at the Daltex were. It was Biden, so... wasn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> well, um, Joe Biden was an honorary pallbearer for the Grassy Knoll shooter in 2004. Motherfucker. One of about twenty. So. Wow. What? Uh huh. No, come on, Corey. Come on. This I know we do comedy on this show, but come on. <laughs> no, nope, for real. You're, you're yanking um, the chain here. There is a deep connection between the grassy knoll shooter and Joe Biden. I don't know what it is. I can't figure it out. But Joe Biden was important enough for him to um, have him be one of his honorary pallbearers, hmm. of which there were about twenty. Maybe so. maybe he had that grassy knoll shooter fucking crash into his wife. <laughs> his, his first wife thanks um so i can do some screen share and go over some yeah, stuff with you absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Send this portion of it, it yeah if it. you uh, pull up that screen share go ahead and share it and then we'll pop it in a new window and then we will um get kind of cracking on this you, you know what's so interesting and i will say um you know that show with jesse ventura that 
he did say he believes now this is of course a very shortened version for tv that uh, i think that show got like what's it called like when it gets 66 or 86 or whatever can't like you can't buy it in the united states this is actually a burned coffee that copy that somebody did it off the tv but he did say uh, i don't even think oswald was anywhere near there when it happened so yeah. i'd tip my yeah, hat. my calculations you, oswald was still in fort worth all morning okay. oswald was in fort worth until he caught a cab to the texas theater driven by a guy named daryl bo click or travy delano bo click they used to call that's him a Darryl cool click. name yeah, um, but uh, he's related to a woman named Bernice Click, who was a longtime associate of Jack Ruby. Everywhere you look, anything connected to Oswald is connected to Jack Ruby. So um, yeah, I'm screen yeah. sharing, but I'm not seeing it in the preview. Oh, yeah, here we go. And shabang. Okay. All right, so let's go over the gunmen. There's quite a few of them. And so I'll, I'll get, this is going to be a real brief overview. Okay, so um, at the pergola, you have two gunmen. You have Dave Yaris, who's between the pergola and the fence. And that's, he's on the left. And on the right is the one and only Irishman, Danny Green. Danny Green, uh, part of the Cleveland mob back in 1963. Well, um, that's the so, Irishman, like the movie that's been made out about him? No, the... there's actually a two Irishmen, both oh. of them connected to the assassination. The other Irishman is a guy named Frank Sheeran, who actually delivered three rifles to David Ferry uh, in oh. Baltimore. So, yeah, wow. they're both Irishmen are connected. But this is Danny Green. Danny Green is an Irishman uh, who was part of the, um, the mafia in Cleveland in the early 60s, but he had a falling out with them. And I think uh, he ends up getting blown up in the 70s. They end up mm -hmm. killing him. Shit. But um, he went from being like uh, inside with them to um, trying to basically take over the Cleveland mob and start his own little Irish mob. And they didn't appreciate that. So Yeah, wasn't his finger like pointing when he fucking blew up or some shit like that? Or was that like oh, I don't, I, I don't know that detail. But uh, the thing with Danny Green is, uh, so uh, prior to the assassination, he was in the Marines. He was a sniper trainer in the Marines. When he gets out of the Marines, oh, he goes wow. to work for... Um, the Genovese family um, in New York working on the railroads. And from there, uh, they trade him to Cleveland to go work for the Cleveland mob. I always forget the, the, the boss in Cleveland's name, but the underboss is the guy who's important. His name is James Licavoli. And he pretty much ran the show in Cleveland. And working for him was a guy named uh, Leo Masseri. And then under Leo Masseri was Danny Green. So after the assassination, Danny Green has this meteoric rise to power. Uh, he takes over the Longshoresman Union in Cleveland, which was like a, a wow. major heavy hitter position. Obviously, he was a nobody before the assassination. And after the assassination, he gets rewarded with um, the Longshoresman Union in Cleveland. Like that was a way bigger position than he ever should have gotten. Right, um, right. I mean, that was like uh, Albert Anastasia ran that position in New York, if that tells you anything. He was mm. a major big shot in the mob. So. Um, but yeah, Danny Green um, and uh, Dave Yaris. Uh, Dave Yaris uh, was responsible for the assassination of Mayor Anton Cermak in Miami in 1933. Um, Cermak was uh, the mayor of Chicago, but he was campaigning with Roosevelt down in Miami, and Yaris organized that assassination. That's a fascinating story. Um, the patsy in that was a guy named uh, Giuseppe Zangara. <clears throat> uh, Zangara basically owed the mob a bunch of money and so um, they, uh, Dave Yaris puts a gun to his head and says I can kill you right now or you can take out Cermak and go to jail and live and so Damn. he opted to take out Cermak um, but it's Good funny because when you, when you look at the interviews with Zangara after the assassination like I know the real story but then I hear what he says he wants to kill Cermak because he's a capitalist and all this crap it's hilarious right just watching him <laughs> tell these to make up these stories so yeah um, but yeah, so um, those guys were at the pergola. Um, on the overpass, you have Robert Bernard Baker, a uh, big fat guy, uh, hard to miss. Um, yeah. I, don't, I think I have some pictures here I might show you of him up there. But um, he was a uh, Chicago outfit guy. Chicago outfits, let me clarify this. The mob in Chicago um, had tentacles all over the country, right? So guys mm -hmm. like Dave Yaris, who were, was in Miami, he was still a part of the Chicago outfit. Um, 
Robert Bernard Baker here, part of the Chicago outfit, but he was working for Jimmy Hoffa in New Jersey. He was Hoffa's right-hand man. And Damn. Hoffa, Hoffa wasn't really... Um, you know, some people say that he was in the mob. He wasn't in the mob. He was too connected to not have been considered a mobster, but he wasn't like a made guy or any of that stuff. Right. Associate. And so, um, right. And so um, the big thing with Robert Bernard Baker is in the days leading up to the assassination is a series of phone calls from Jack Ruby to Robert Bernard Baker, to Dave Yaris, to Lenny Patrick, who's another hitman in Chicago. Um, the four of these guys call each other the night before the assassination, but these were alibi phone calls because these guys had been in Dallas for at least three or four days before the assassination. So uh, when you read the uh, assassination story, you'll read about these phone calls that went on, which is the proof that the mob wasn't involved because these guys were you know, in Miami and New Jersey and all over, and they couldn't have been in Dallas. But nope, those were alibi phone calls. Those guys were in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you have uh, at the book depository, yeah, the two, you have two shooters on the sixth floor and you have a shooter on the roof. The shooters on the sixth floor are on the left hand side. That's Lawrence Howard. You can see he's a big fat Mexican looking dude. Mm-hmm. He's got bumps on his face. Uh, so when you see Oswald and he's being called out for, you know, having been with a husky Latino with a pockmarked face, I mean, it's pretty obvious this is the guy because he's the only one in the entire cast of characters who's a big fat Mexican with, mm-hmm. you know, bumps on his face. Yeah. So uh, Lauren Hall, he's the uh, the other shooter on the sixth floor. He shot from the uh, opposite side. He's probably the one responsible for shooting Governor Connolly. And uh, he ends up fleeing out the building at about 1233. I'm not going to get into that too much, maybe later on. But um, he ends up fleeing out the building. He has He's using a Johnson 30-06 rifle. That Johnson gets ditched in Daly Plaza, found the next day by the lawn crew. It's traced back to a guy named Richard Hathcock in Los Angeles. Richard Hathcock uh, turns out that um, he had basically um, been in possession of that rifle, and it was Lauren Halls and a guy named Jerry Hemming, and they had pawned it to him. So they were able to trace the rifle found in Daly Plaza to Richard Hathcock, connected it to this guy, Lauren Hall, here in the center. But so. we couldn't find Bin Laden in his house for 10 years. Okay. Fuck no. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Uh, well, well uh, we know why they couldn't find Bin Laden. Same reason they couldn't find Mengele. Like, every time they were fucking on the trail of Mengele, Alan Dulles got on the phone and said, it's time to move him. And they yeah. moved Mengele ahead of the, the you know, Nazi hunters who were all full yeah. of shit in the first place. So, um, <laughs> so the guy on the right, that's Sergio Arcacha Smith. He's a former Cuban diplomat. Um, it's Ricky Ricardo's dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, worked with, uh, he worked under Batista, and then um, he was exiled to the United States, where he gets involved in New Orleans with Guy Bannister and David Ferry. And uh, allegedly, these guys are all involved in like this anti-Castro Cuban movement, right? And they're recruiting all these anti-Castro mm. Cubans. This is all bullshit front, okay? They didn't give right. a fuck about Cuba. Um, this was a, a basically a money-raising and laundering operation. Um, ultimately... You know, how, how many years did they say that they were raising money and funneling weapons to the Cubans to overthrow Castro? Well, none of that shit ever happened. And the reason right. that never happened was because 100% of that money and 100% of those weapons got diverted to Israel to fight the Palestinians. Mm. That's what fucking happened. And that's why the uprising never happened in fucking Cuba. Okay? Because wow. it was a big front. Um, David Ferry, 1962, him and a bunch of guys break into a, a, a weapons depot run by the Schlumberger Corporation in Homa, Louisiana. Um, basically, um, Gordon Novell, one of his guys, tells the, tells uh, interviewers later that the CIA basically left the door open for them to go and clean it out. Um, those wow. rifles and all the weapons were supposed to go to the anti-Castro Cubans. Well, they ended mm-hmm. up making their way to a company called Interarmco out of Virginia, which was run by a guy named Samuel Cummings. Samuel Cummings also owned a company called Adams Consolidated, which is the company that imported the Manlicher Carcano rifle allegedly used by Oswald, right? So you've got wow. the the same people involved in the importing of the rifle as involved with the exporting of military equipment to Israel. Right. Because if you haven't figured it out yet, okay, the CIA takes their orders from Tel Aviv. Yeah. If you haven't figured it out, that's a fucking reality, okay? So um, when people say they don't understand the relationship... 
Right, right. When people don't understand, like, why the fucking CIA does everything Israel tells them is because they control our country, and they have since they killed Kennedy in 63. All right? Mm. So, um, but uh, I don't know how I got on that tangent, but Sergio Cutchins-Smith. <laughs> By the way, to my understanding, Corey, the, the rifle that they said that Oswald used to shoot Kennedy is a giant piece of shit. It is not the most effective weapon. To, that's like a target yeah. gun. Yeah, it's a, it's a piece of junk. It was actually used by the Italian army during World War II, but it was um, it was considered the safest <laughs> yeah. rifle you could use because it couldn't shoot anybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I find like the, the you know the arguments over whether or not um, you know that rifle was any good or not is is ridiculous because uh, ultimately Kennedy was shot from the sniper's nest with a Mauser seven point six five that was located in that in the depository on the sixth floor, right? So yeah, they located they located multiple rifles. I mean, they were my calculations. They they took into custody six rifles that day in Daly Plaza. So real wow. real quick, Corey, just for for I don't know if this means anything, but I actually have which I got from my grandfather after he passed away. He had like two hundred something rifles, and my mom was like, "You're you weren't in the will because I wasn't born yet." Pick one out. And I picked the, it's an 1891 Mar Mauser Argentina, just yep. 765 by 53. Yep, that's it. Oh, that's dude, does, did my gun shoot Kennedy? Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, dude. Oh, what was your, where dude. was your grandpa, dude? Um, I don't know. I don't know what rifle um, the Knoll shooter used. Um, I haven't been able to figure that out. Uh, it was most likely an Enfield 303 because the magic bullet that was originally planted was a pointed tip Enfield round from a 303. Mm -hmm. So, the rifle used by the Knoll shooter was probably an Enfield, but also you have Mausers and you have Johnsons. And so um, the Carcano was never actually fired. That was just planted. I mean, that bullet's a, I mean, that thing's a piece of junk. And like it's, it, they said that there were three shots fired from that. There weren't, there were only two. When you go through all the crime scene documents and all the photographs, there were only two shells collected. And the third hull that they say, you know, because Oswald fired three shots, right? The third hull didn't show up for like a week, mm -hmm. uh, not till November 27th. Um, <laughs> So uh, you have only have two shells being collected until a week later, um, a third hull is, uh, you know, it pops up. Totally. So, but um, yeah, Sergeant Hatcher Smith on the right, he was on the roof. And we know someone was on the roof because uh, they actually located a Mauser 7.65 on the roof. Also, that information got disappeared from history. Mm -hmm. um, uh, who was it? Gary Shaw put out a book called, um, God, I don't remember what it was called, from like the 60s, late 60s. The best books on Kennedy are from the late 60s and early 70s before everything got censored. Right. Um, but basically, um, the Dallas Police Department confirmed that, uh, yes, uh, a Mauser was found on the roof of the book depository. Uh, and they said that it belonged to a security guard. But, you know, <laughs> since then. Damn. Yeah, there was no security guard up there. And since then, with the, the, the age of propagandist Oliver Stone, like all that information has disappeared. Yeah. Hmm. So. Um, okay, so the oh, shooter. Real, the... real quick, Corey. Go ahead. I just I just happen to have this on on my desk right here. If if you can see that that right there, it's kind of blurry. Is a seven six five by fifty three for the Mauser Argentina. Oh wow! That is a very big bullet. Yeah. Yeah. Contrary to popular belief, not the whole thing goes out of the gun like <laughs> a Vice showed on that article. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Um. So. Uh, this is uh, Emilio Santana. Um, Emilio Santana comes up to Dallas um, on November 20th with Sergio Arcacha Smith. Okay, so those two guys are in a car with a woman named Rose Sheremy. They're driving a um, like a 1960 white Chevy Impala, and they're heading to Dallas. And uh, they're with a woman named Rose Sheremy, who's basically a hooker, works for Jack Ruby, works for Carlos Marcello. And there was like this like hooker circuit that bounced back and forth between Dallas and uh, Miami, and it crossed through um, New Orleans, right? Mm -hmm. And it's actually really important because this hooker ring, um, 
has a major overlap with the Bobby Baker uh, scandal that happened um, just prior to the assassination and the uh, prostitution ring that involved, you know, a Soviet spy who uh, was sleeping with John Kennedy, right? So um, you have major fucking overlap um, with Jack Ruby and his prostitution ring, which is really part of Carlos Marcelo's and the overlap with Bobby Baker. Like all these fucking guys knew each other. Like, I mean, all the politicians knew Marcelo. Like this is how it was if you lived in the South. So, but uh, um, this guy, Emilio Santana, he's uh, he's a Cuban exile and he's working for, here's another thing. Like all these guys who were shooters, 100% 100% of them had a relationship with both the CIA and the mafia. Like, mm. so um, Emilio Santana, the CIA doesn't even deny their relationship with him. They claim they had a relationship with him until October of 63, Damn. right? Um, but at the same time, we can confirm he was working as a bagman for Marcelo. So mm. all these guys, when people say it was like the CIA killed Kennedy, well, the CIA has amazing plausible deniability here because they can say every shooter was mafia and, and they would be 100% correct. Right. It's a little trickier when you get to the null shooter because the null shooter is the one that fucking shows you that it was the government and governments the entire time. Even though the the way that he was brought into this and recruited went outside the scope of government, it was it's it's really complex how they had this thing set up. But right. um, and so um, but yeah, I believe that Emilio Santana here he gets arrested in Daly Plaza and there's a major fucking uh, obfuscation of the timeline involving um, Lee Harvey Oswald's alleged incident in the second floor lunchroom with a Coke story, right? So allegedly Oswald kills the president, makes down a bunch of stairs, and then he's drinking a Coke in the lunchroom 90 seconds after where he's uh, approached by Baker and Truly, right? So that never happened. Oswald never drank the fucking Coke in the second floor. That was a total myth um, (laughs) meant to cover for the fact that this guy here, Emilio Santana, was arrested by Baker. And so Baker could not have been inside the book depository 90 seconds after the assassination because, by my calculations, no police officer entered the building, the Texas School Book Depository, until a minimum of 1237. Wow. At, um, and we know this because of Robert McNeil. Robert McNeil, the reporter for NBC and PBS, um, he is in the book depository that day, and he says he makes a phone call. The phone call was timestamped at 1236, mm-hmm. and he says that he left the building immediately after, and no cops entered the building while he was there or before him. So uh, it's impossible for that incident to have happened 90 seconds after. Uh, and the reason that they made all that stuff up was because they had to cover for the fact that this guy here, Emilio Santana, was arrested in Daly Plaza. He was the shooter at the Daltex building. Um, he was shot from underneath the fire escape. He was not inside the building. Right. Um, and uh, on the uh, couch film, Malcolm Couch, you can see clearly uh, Baker gets off his motorcycle, runs past the book depository, and he runs to Houston Street. Mm-hmm. Well, why would he do that? Obviously, I believe he saw uh, Emilio Santana get down from the ledge beneath the fire escape, and he chases him, arrests him. And then in Willis photo number 10, uh, Bill Willis photo number 10, uh, you have a picture of a man dressed all in black getting arrested directly in front of the book depository. Mm-hmm. So I believe the series of events is uh, the president gets shot, Emilio Santana jumps down from the ledge. Uh, Baker pulls up on his motorcycle, sees him, chases him, uh, arrests him, and doesn't enter the book depository till 12.37 p.m. Mm. So... Um, and then that leads us to what really happened inside the book depository. And that's, uh, I don't know if we'll have time to get to that today, but we'll, we'll see. And so then, uh, when it comes to the grassy knoll, there were two shooters on the grassy knoll. Um, the first shot that struck Kennedy in the throat was fired by David Ferry. And the headshot that took off Kennedy's head is fired by Jack Valente, who is the man pictured here on the right. Jack Valente, one of the most important people in American history that no one's ever heard of, um, Jack Valenti went on to create the movie rating system as uh, the head of the Motion Picture Association of America for damn near 40 years, Um, 1966 to 2004. uh, Jack Valenti controlled 100% of the propaganda that you grew up on. 
if you saw a television show or a movie or anything that had Jack Valenti's fingerprints all over it. Um, right. So the, the movie rating system was a, was a censorship mechanism. Yeah. Uh, it had nothing to do with uh, protecting your children. Um, basically, if they wanted to shutter a film, they st- slapped it with a label of rated R because right. rated R couldn't be advertised or none of that stuff. So it's changed over the years. But and when this stuff came about in like the 70s, mm-hmm. um, that's purely what it was. Uh, Jack Valenti is a uh, CIA spook who ran Hollywood. And um, on top of his censorship efforts, when it comes to Hollywood, um, he was also on the board of directors for the Recording Industry Association of America, the RIAA. Um, and he was personally behind the creation of the PMRC, which attempted to censor music in the 1980s. I don't know if you mm. remember that with Twisted Sister coming up and talking to Congress and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but he was also on the board of the RIAA with a guy named Charles Bronfman. I'm not sure if you know who Charles Bronfman is. Charles Bronfman, um, uh, whose brother's name is Edgar Bronfman. Um, they're part of the Seagram's uh, Corporation uh you know, uh, heirs, right? Mm-hmm. So they basically run the Nexium sex cult. They've been involved with Jeffrey Epstein and funding Epstein. They're two of the largest um, human traffickers that have ever lived. Jesus. Um, and so Charles Bronfman was on the board of the RAA with Jack Valente. Jack Valente also sat on the board of Riggs Bank, and he was sitting on the board of Riggs Bank September 11, 2001. He was the top um, board member of Riggs Bank when the Saudis transferred money to the 9-11 hijackers, which happened on his watch. Wow. So this guy has had more of a fucking influence on American history than probably anybody, and no one's God. ever heard of the fucking guy. Um, on so top of that, he shot Kennedy from the knoll, and I'm convinced based on my research thus far, but I can't prove yet that he also shot Martin Luther King. That oh I'll have to God. work on. Jeez. That I will have to work on in the future. But the reason I say that is because um, I identified the real Raul, and the real Raul is just how happens to be Jack Valenti's former brother-in-law through 1961, a guy named Vincent Caltagirone Jr. Mm. So um, Jack Valenti is balls deep in uh, everything American corruption uh, related. Uh, so, who is the guy that they that they claim um, did the shooting of of JFK? Or, um, I'm, not, I'm sorry, not JFK. Uh, Martin Luther King doesn't he have three names too? Um, James O'Ray. James O'Ray, and he died. Right, so, in, he died in prison. Right. So James O'Ray um, was working. He was a low level mob guy. Uh, see, here's the thing: when you're a low level mob and CIA, you're interchangeable, right? Like right. these organizations are so close knit. Like these people were just, you know, whatever job they were told to do that day, they did. And sometimes it was for CIA, sometimes it was for mafia. Perfect example of that is a guy like Thomas Beckham, a low level guy who knew Oswald in New Orleans, bounced back and forth between the mafia and the CIA. So. Um, but um, James Earl Ray was definitely set up. Uh, everything he said about Raul is 100% correct. Um, I identified r- the real Raul as a guy named Vincent Caltagirone Jr. And I did this. Uh, I was able to trace this because, well, it's a really long story. But ultimately, um, Jack Valenti has a sister named um, uh, Lorraine Valenti and Dinerstein. Okay. And so when I went through her history, it's part of part of being a historian. You have to go through genealogies, like right. especially when you're dealing with the fucking CIA. It's amazing who's related to who. And and when it comes to the mafia and CIA, they like to um, pull from families, right? So mm. always always study who's related to who. Um, but Vincent Calderon Jr. 
um, I connected to a woman named Mary Boots Roberts. Um, Mary Boots Roberts was Mary called Garone at birth. It was his, mm. his first cousin. That's the woman who ran the Winterland Ice Rink that David Ferry allegedly went to go ice skating in, uh, you know, <laughs> after the assassination, right? So I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, holy shit. So this fucking guy is related to the person who's running the Winterland. And the owner of the Winterland where David Ferry went ice skating was Lyndon Johnson. Johnson Family Enterprise owned the ice skating rink that... <laughs> Um, and this is where they really fucked up because when I figured out the Winterland ice skating rink and how it was just a, a it was a, it was an alibi for David Ferry because David Ferry was really in Dallas. Like the whole story of the assassination, like this fake alibi is going on all over the place. Like fucking Jack Ruby's got fake alibis. Yeah. David Ferry's got fake alibis. Everyone's got fake alibis. So, but um, I connected. Uh, I ended up connecting uh, Vincent Calderon Jr., the real Raul, to Jack Valenti through Jack Valenti's sister because I determined that they both had children in common. I discovered this by looking over um, obituaries. When you read people's obituaries, they tend to tell the truth, even about spooks. Um, even the CIA's family doesn't know what they did. So usually they tell the truth in the obituary. So when you yeah. go through obituaries, you'll find some fucking amazing stuff, right? So then wow. I just happened to come across the fact that Vincent Caltagrone Jr. and Jack Valenti's sister had the same name. Their kids had the same exact names. So then when I did a genealogy search on it, it was like, holy shit. Um, and then I connected Vincent Caltagrone Jr. to a woman named Glenda Grabo who straight up knew Raul um, and said that Raul would often talk about Jack Valente. Why would Raul do that if he didn't know him? Well, of course he knew him. Um, and also, this is the short tramp. Uh, Raul is the short tramp in Daily okay. Plaza. And I identified all three of the, of the tramps. So, um, gosh, where was I? We were talking about the, the shooters, right? So, mm -hmm. Right, right. But yeah, um, but I want to skip. I'm going to skip ahead because we we would literally be here for like days if I went over everything. But um, yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, let me let me put this up there for you real quick, Corey. Before you um, let me know when you're ready to share again. Sure. Um, the question came in on our Rockfin channel from Ricky McDaniel. Um, what does Corey know about the connections with H.W. Bush? Does yeah. he believe he was involved, and to what degree? Yeah, Bush was in Dallas. Was, wasn't totally. he the director at the time of the CIA? No, he's a, he, he was a fucking nobody. Uh, so here's okay. the deal. Like, back in the day, um, uh, the Bushes had money, and they were oil people, right? And so yeah. the CIA wants to have international oil people, pe you know, international businessmen on the payroll. And right. that's what George Bush was back then, because the guy was only, like, what, 40 at the time? Yeah. Something like that? I mean, he was not that, – that's not old when it comes to, like, dealing in politics and, and intelligence. So, right. Um, his father, Prescott Bush, had way more pull. Uh, George Bush uh, was more of um, – you know, um, I don't know. I want to call him like I'm more of a hanger on than anything else. He was not okay. overly important in the scheme of things. His father, super important, uh, but George Bush hadn't gotten there yet. He was just starting to get into that, you know, that that um, that that kind of click, right? Okay. I mean, it wasn't until like uh, what was it, '73? Um, it wasn't until '73 when uh, Louis Bloomfield, who actually ran Centro Mondial Commercial, which was one of the, the front companies involved in this, um, mm -hmm. actually um, met with Kissinger. Um, and then shortly after that, um, George Bush was appointed to the head of the CIA. So there's some weird stuff and okay. connections. Like George Bush was definitely involved in half the shit that he did when he was president um, was about covering up uh, stuff in Dallas. So, yeah, wow. he was definitely involved. Um, he was definitely in Daly Plaza. But, um, yeah, don't put too much weight into how much pull he had back then. Not a big he didn't player. have much. No. Yeah, okay. had, you didn't have the juice yet. Didn't have the juice yet. <laughs> he, 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 he did get in the skull. Oh, bones, God. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> so did John Kerry. Those, and those were our two options at that point. Um, yeah, it's really interesting, especially when you start, like you said, going through the genealogy. Um, you know, I know there was that one student years ago that did that, that genealogy list of basically all the presidents are related in one way or another. 
uh, including Obama, and like how they're like, wait, a black person? Yeah, they're yeah. they can breed with white people too. It's fine. Um, yeah, I'm living proof. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's really interesting because uh, you know, depending on where and where and how far you go back, right? Uh, if you if you believe the story of creation, there was two, and then there was a lot, right? right. Um, but we also know, and we've talked about on the show, the ancient bloodlines. Uh, my wife's got that angel blood shit in her, you know what I mean? <laughs> you get them red hair motherfuckers running around somewhere, you know. But um, it's yeah, it's really interesting, especially when you you look at that. And I and I've recently been doing some research on nine eleven with the um, Social Security Death Index and some odd things going on there. That's another topic for another day. But um, yeah, Corey, go ahead and give me a give me a thumbs up when you're ready to to share what you want to share here. Yeah, I'm ready to go. Okay, cool. Did you did you already pull it up into the uh, option there? No, here I gotta do it right now. So there just to be clear, Charles Harrelson was not one of the trans. No, no. <laughs> That's good one story. Of my it's a good story. That's one of my no. favorite stories. I'm telling you, the only person that we can trust is fucking Gary Busey. That's the only person <laughs> that's left on this earth that we can put faith in. No, the tramps were um, Vincent Caltagirone was the short tramp. The tall tramp was Danny Green, um, okay. and the old tramp was Leo Masseri, who I previously mentioned was Danny Green's right. boss. So. Okay. Um, when you actually look at pictures of these guys, it's fucking clear as day it's them. Like, for all, everyone who was out there saying it was, like, Sturgis and all these people, like, I swear to God, the JFK There's research community ones. is the biggest fucking bunch of clowns I ever fucking <laughs> seen in my life. These fucking people flip. couldn't investigate their way out of a paper fucking bag. <laughs> like, they don't understand anything about anything. They think you can study Kennedy and figure out Kennedy. And if you don't start 100 years before Kennedy, you're never going to figure out shit. Right. So, mm -hmm. like, I, I have a great disdain for Kennedy researchers in general because they've written hundreds of books and never solved a fucking thing. It's disgusting. <laughs> like, it's just unbelievable. This yeah. is the biggest grift that's ever fucking been. Right. I Fuck. dig it. I dig the energy. So, all right. So, can you guys see this on screen? Let me see. Yeah. 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 All right. So, um, this is, we're going to cover, like, the Knoll shooter and Jack Valenti and how he got away with this stuff. And so, uh, when, when the Secret Service car, who are completely complicit in all this, um, they uh, they pull into Dealey Plaza. There's only 10 men. Uh, there's 10 men on the, on the car, right? So, you have um, two men out of sight, Samuel Kinney and Emery Roberts. That's, like, the driver in the passenger, front passenger okay. seat. But you got these other guys here. So, there's a total of 10 men. And when, as they move through Dealey Plaza, two of them exit, Dave Powers and Clint Hill. So then you only have eight people who should be on the car, right? There right. should not be any more than eight people on this car at any time because two of them left and there were 10. And this is all easily verifiable by the photographic record. Right. So um, Kennedy gets shot. Um, the first shot comes from David Ferry. Then there's like a barrage of bullets who knows from where, but like they, I can tell you, they extracted at least three or four bullets from the limousine, you know, one from the concrete, one from the grass. There was like 10 bullets fired. Um, but they keep saying there's only three, right? The, the, yeah. the, 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 when you come to really understand Kennedy's assassination, you're like, holy shit, these motherfuckers are so like, it's so obvious. They lied about everything. Right. Right. So the idea that people out there still think that Oswald had anything to do with this makes me literally just want to <laughs> punch him in the fucking face. It's like, you're so lazy and arrogant. You can't even fucking read a book. Yeah. Um, uh, Corey, so in Wikipedia that picture, said, yeah, in that picture in the front there, that, that, uh, tan vehicle white vehicle is that someone falling off the back no, it's a flag it's a flag oh it's a flag okay yeah. i was like someone's doing like this yeah this no that's the flag on the front driver's um side. however oh, okay i got you there is um i've seen some photo analysis every single photograph that was taken in Dealey plaza passed through a cia front company called jaggers charles scoval which is also a place where oswald is alleged to have worked right so um every photograph was tampered with like they did not allow the release of any photographs that did not pass through um cia hands right. and when you look up at this front vehicle that's the lead car and that lead car has like decker and like forest sorrels and like um from the secret service and local fbi 
and like so pretty important guys in that front car. Right. Um, but when you look in, when you actually do a zoom out on it, and like an analysis, there's like masking and stuff that was done back in the day. Like um, mm. you can't see what's going on in the back seat. It's all yeah. blurry. Um, but like I've seen like photo redux of these that cleared that up. And uh, like it, it's de- totally obvious that every photo was tampered with. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is what's really important here is you have the lead car and the lead car's brakes are on because the taillights are on. Right. So you can right. tell that they're, they're braking for some reason. Right. So. Um, people argue over whether or not the limousine actually braked in Daly Plaza. Um, I don't know. It doesn't matter whether it braked or if it slowed. A, a, a good sharpshooter is going to be able to hit the target either way. So to me, that whether right. or not it stopped there is irrelevant. What's it more important? It wasn't is, traveling entirely too fast to begin with. So no, nah, it was going maybe five to ten miles an yeah. hour. I mean, it was going slow. It's a parade. Yeah. <laughs> Do I think he went slow so they could shoot him? Sure, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Um, so. But the thing that's important here is that this the lead car will end up pulling off to the left and allowing the the, the limousine to go shooting by it, mm-hmm. right? So um, you have some really crazy uh, obfuscation of, with the cars here because the lead car jumped to the side and so the limousine shoots by. But as you go through some of the other photographs um, of the uh, of the limousine and the lead car, you'll see that they did this like jumping jacks a couple times. It's like they, right. they jumped around each other, you know, um, and it was like, why the hell would they do that? Like, what's going on there that they would uh, feel the need to, to, to jump around each other like that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so and we know the real shooter is Hertz Rent-A-Car. In the back. <laughs> that. They're putting their logo out there. I didn't Hertz was around then. Jesus. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, and see, the, fortunately, we have a timestamp because there's that clock on there, 1230 exactly, right? So the right. shooting happened exactly 1230. Okay. Um, so when you zoom in on this picture, this is this is uh, the McIntyre photo number one. There are two McIntyre photos. We'll cover both of them. But uh, when you zoom in here, you'll find that there were two guys on the side of the car, right? You have uh, numbers three and four, which are John D. Jack Reedy and Paul Landis. But when you zoom in here, now there's only one person on the side of the car. And this person has a flat top. And neither of those other guys had a flat top, right? Right, right. Um, so, Here's another thing. Like when you zoom in, look at this picture here, it's pretty clear that there's a man standing in the back seat of the president's limousine with a rifle. Right. Um, this yeah. has been ignored throughout history. This photo has been out for 50 fucking years. There's no reason for this to have been ignored. Um, but there is clearly a man standing upright in the back of the president's limousine holding a rifle. And you know he's in the back of the president's limousine and not the follow-up car because what he's holding right here seems to be it is clearly in front of the windshield, right? It is in right. front of the windshield of the previous car. And this head right here, right, leaning over the side, that is Clint Hill. That's Clint Hill's head as he's on top of Jackie already. So who the fuck could possibly be standing in the back of the president's limo holding what looks to be a rifle? Right. None other than Jack Valenti. And how do we know it's Jack Valenti? Well, um, let me see if I have some of his statements here. 